You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. Thank you to our worship team and uh, happy Father's Day uh, to all the dads. Uh, who are with us. We're so glad you've joined us uh, in worship today. If you want to get out your Bibles, we'll be looking back at Colossians. We'll be in chapter 2, starting in verse 16. Uh, but before I get too far into it, y'all, I got to tell you how dirty my family did me here, okay? <laughs> y'all, last night, they send in my little girl, Hannah. Send her in. Daddy, we got you an early Father's Day present. Here, look at this shirt that we bought for you. Daddy, Big blue eyes, y'all. My daughter, big, beautiful blue eyes. It looks, looks at me. Daddy, will you please wear the shirt we bought you on Sunday morning? Oh. Well, of course, sweetheart. Little did I know. It was all a conspiracy. Uh, well, you know, this week I came across what has to be probably my favorite bit of research I've ever come across. You know me. I, every once in a while I like to throw out these studies here and there and everything's None of them has ever beat what I found this week. I'm going to start by reading just the, the opening sentences of this article. It says, a new study shines light on the depths of delusion and wrongness in the heart of man. U.gov has released a new study on just what members of the animal kingdom Americans think they could take in unarmed combat. This is important research, guys, Okay. So here's, here's the premise. What they did, they took all these animals, and they just surveyed Americans. Which one of these could you win against in unarmed combat? So big, little, all the stuff. That, here's my favorite one. A full 6% of Americans think they could win in a fight with a grizzly bear. A grizzly bear, y'all. Just to be clear, they specified unarmed combat. So this is no weapons, no guns. You in a bear, in the octagon, 6% are saying, yeah, I'm, I'm the one coming out alive in that gig. Y'all, a grizzly bear, I looked it up, can weigh up to 1,700 pounds. It has claws up to six inches long, razor sharp. Bear, grizzly bears have been known to kill a moose with one swipe of their paw. 6% of Americans say, no problem. I got it. Think about that. Let's just say there's 100 people in here, six of us. Six of us think they're going to beat up a grizzly bear. And they're all wearing blue shirts. They're all, most of us are wearing blue shirts. In fact, y'all, I didn't know if I was going to share this, but Lynn opened that can of worms. I, I, I shared this with my, with my kids this week, and Caleb goes, I bet Mr. Adam McMahon is one of the ones he thinks can beat, beat up the grizzly bear. <laughs> can I get an amen on that one? Okay, we know that really there's five. Adam's one of them. There's five more who think they can do that. So when it comes to our physical strength, yeah, there's a few of us that way overestimate our strength and our ability. But y'all, when it comes to our spiritual abilities, I'm telling you, each and every single one of us way overestimates our strength, way overestimates our abilities. In today, today's passage, Paul, he He's kind of turning his attention to people who've been persuading these believers that you need to return to some self-improvement, some self-sanctification, some self-salvation. So they were saying things like this, hey, Jesus, he's great. Yes, get you some Jesus. That's a great place to start. It's a great starting point. But, you know, some of you guys need to step up your game. 
You need to climb the ladder a little bit. And here's some things you need to do. And if you do these things, you'll really start to climb the ladder. And Paul is pointing out the inherent lie isn't whether these religious practices were good or bad. The lie is that you have any ability whatsoever to add to what Christ has done. That's the lie. Throughout Colossians, Paul, I don't know if you've noticed, he's made a really big deal about Christ. He says, he's everything. He's the whole ballgame. He's all of it. In fact, in Colossians, y'all, it's 95 verses. It's a pretty short book. In those 95 verses, there are 63 direct references to Christ. He says he's the creator. He's the sustainer. He is the savior. He is the center of everything. And if you have him, you don't need anything else. And you cannot add to anything that he has done. What Paul wants us to realize this morning is that thinking that by your effort you can add anything to the work of Christ is more foolish than thinking you can beat up a grizzly bear. So that's our big idea. And I want you to really grasp this this morning. Here's our big big idea for today. You cannot beat up a grizzly bear. Let's start to read Colossians 2. Verse 16 through 23. He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things that come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have an indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So Paul, he starts out the first two verses, verse 16 and 17. He's going to give us the key principle, and we've got to get that principle, and then he applies it to some of these other specifics that he's talking about. And so really what's going on is some Judaizers had come into the church in Colossae, and they were essentially saying, you know, if you want to have the fullest spiritual experience, if you really want to follow God, essentially they were saying you have to become Jewish. You have to return to performance of the Jewish law. And Paul says their mistake is that they are choosing the shadow over the substance. And so he's going to use this imagery of shadow and substance. So just to be clear, the shadow that Paul has in mind, it's it's the Old Testament law. The substance, the substance is Christ. Now, I've got a little bit of a shadow here. I've got a silhouette of my son Caleb that we had done a few years ago. Or you could say it's a shadow of my son. Now, my wife loves this. The silhouette is great. The, The shadow can be helpful in a lot of ways. You can tell some things about my son from the shadow. You can tell, probably tell he's a child. You can tell probably that he's a boy. You can even kind of tell he has glasses. You can tell what the outline of his 
face looks like. You can tell he didn't get his dad's big, big old head. Uh, thankfully, you, you can tell a lot from the shadow, can't you? But there's so much more that you can't see just from the shadow compared to the substance, compared to the full love person. For example, if I was going to say, hey, okay, look at this silhouette. What's his name? What color are his eyes? Or can you look at his eyes and tell what he's feeling? Uh, you, you can't tell any of those just from uh, the shadow. And, and so in a way that in the full picture, the shadow doesn't even compare to the substance. The shadow, it's, it's kind of like this elusive, nameless, faceless version of the fuller substance of the real thing. The substance, Christ, in this case, my son Caleb, the substance is the real full person. He has a name. You can interact with him. You can have a conversation with a person. You can't with the shadow. Probably what's most important is you can have a relationship with the substance. I can't say to this shadow, hey, come throw the football with me or come play a game with me or come sit in my lap. I can't do that with just the silhouette. You can't tell jokes. You can't laugh with it. You can only have a relationship, you see, with the substance, with the full person, with the real thing. The word substance that Paul uses here is the word soma, and we've heard that word before. He uses the same word. It can mean body, and he uses the same word to describe Christ's body. And he's using the same word for a reason. See, Christ in his body, the incarnation, he is saying, it's the substance. It's the full person. It's the thing you can have a relationship with. And so he says, back in 115, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Well, how can you have an image of something invisible? If that invisible thing puts on soma, puts on substance, puts on body. He's saying the incarnation of Christ means God has put on substance. And because he has put on flesh, you can know him. You can walk with him. You can have a relationship with him in the way you can with just a bunch of rules and regulations. So later in chapter 1, Paul goes on to explain that because Christ came in his soma, in his body, in his substance, because of that, his death reconciles us to God. It makes us blameless. It secures our eternal redemption. All those things that the shadows and the shadow religions are promising, the substance did. Only the substance can do what those shadow religions are promising you. So all the things you're hoping... And we hope that our religious activity will do and our keeping the law will do. Christ does. He does all of them. And when you and I, when we try to do them on our own, when we try to add what Christ did in his substance, you're trying to wrestle a grizzly bear. And it won't go well for you. You cannot do it. Now, as soon as we start talking that way, I know a lot of people have the question. I have the question. Well, then why have the law? I mean, what's the point of all of it? Is, is it bad? Should we disregard it? Well, y'all, the shadow has a purpose. This silhouette does serve a purpose. And in fact, if you never met my son, but then you saw this and you recognize this, then you saw my son, couldn't this shadow help you recognize the real thing? And that is the purpose, that is the intention of the law. But then the point is, when the real thing comes along, the point is to walk in relationship with the substance, with the actual person. 
But they were doing what we all have a tendency to do, to make it all about the shadow because that's where our performance is. And so we make it all about our external performance. All the do's and don'ts start to take priority over the intended relationship with the substance, you see. And so what they did is they not only tried to follow all the rules, they stacked their own rules on top of God's rules. And so they said, if God wants me to do this, I'm going to be extra. And so I'm going to do even more than this. I'm going to go above and beyond. Because, see, I'm trying to be pious. I'm trying to be moral. I'm trying to be a good person. And it sounds so good. But then when Jesus came on the scene, you know, what's interesting, when, when the actual substance arrived, the full living, breathing thing, they accused God of breaking the law. They accused Jesus, who was God, of breaking the law. They couldn't see the substance because they were so absorbed with the shadow. And over and over again, they say, see, he breaks the Sabbath. See, he's doing all these things. And the reason they gave for not following God who stood right in front of them over and over again was the law. They had so misused and abused the law that the shadow was now a barrier to their relationship with the substance. And men and women, that is what will always happen when you try to wrestle the grizzly bear on your own. You will be so busy trying to perform and trying to do and trying to measure up that it will blind you to the substance, to Jesus, who's right in front of you, offering everything that you need. So Paul is writing these, his church and he's saying, guys, I tried it. We've all tried it for thousands of years. It didn't work then. It's not going to work this time. Christ is the whole ball game. There's nothing your rule keeping can do to add to what Christ has already done. And so that's, that's the image. That's the principle he wants us to get. And then starting in verse 18, he talks about kind of two categories of these shadow religions that they were following. You think of it as uh, diet and days. So he talks about diet, matters of food and drink. So let's talk about what, what was the shadow in the Old Testament that had to do with diet? Well, for the most part, it did have to do with health and, and all those type of things. But for the most part, it had to do with helping God's people understand the concepts of clean and unclean. God is clean, and he cannot intermix and be in the presence of things that are unclean. It was to help them understand those concepts. So here's what the shadow religion they created does. They essentially used it to qualify themselves and disqualify others. So I'm clean because of my performance and my uh, adherence to the dietary laws. Uh, those barbarians eating bacon over there, they're unclean. They're out. That's the shadow religion. Here's the substance. Jesus comes and says, hey, hey newsflash, guys. The real uncleanliness is not in your food. It is in your hearts. We read in Mark where he said, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean. It's what comes out. And so it says, it's, he says, it's not that some people are clean and some are unclean. It's that you are all unclean. But I want to make you clean. I came to make you clean. And his work on your behalf makes you clean not your adherence to some dietary laws. You cannot beat up that grizzly bear just by watching what you eat. He talks about days, festivals, new moons, Sabbaths. 
So here's the shadow of the law. These feasts, these Sabbaths, these celebrations, they were meant to be helpful. They were ways to tell the stories over and over again, generation after generation, of God's grace and his power and his provision for his people. It's supposed to be a lot like uh, my family. We, we do photo albums. My wife makes a photo album for every year, and every once in a while, my kids will get them out. We, we look back at these old photo albums, and we remember, oh, yeah, remember we did this, and this person came to visit. And as we remember the past, man, it just stirs our affection and our relationships for one another. That was the purpose. Here's what the, the shadow religion did with it. The, Y'all, these, celebra- these celebrations, they weren't a joyful remembrance of what God has done. They became joyless performances of what I can do and how I can follow the rules in the celebrations. Now, what is the substance? Obviously, the substance is Christ. We have a great picture of this in John 7. So I encourage you this week. Go back, go read John 7. Jesus, in John 7, he shows up at the Feast of Booths. Now, guys, this tells you everything you need to know. The Old Testament required the Feast of Booze to last for seven days. But they had to add an eighth day. You know why? To make room for all the things they were adding on top of what God had told them to do. So it's supposed to be seven. It turned into eight because we had to make room for all the extra things that I am doing. And the feast was meant to celebrate God's provision on their journey to the promised land. Okay. You get the irony here? A celebration of God's provision, but we need to add an extra day for all the things that I'm going to do. See this? One part of the feast is every morning of those seven days, a procession of people, they'd leave the temple and they'd go down to the pool of Siloam and they'd be carrying tree branches, they'd be carrying fruit, they'd be singing Hallel Psalms. I mean, it was was a whole to-do. And they'd be carrying this empty golden flask and they would go down, they would draw water from the pool of Siloam into that golden flask, and then they do the same thing, march right back up to the temple, the singing, the branches, the the whole thing, and then they pour it on the altar in the temple to use as a libation offering to God. Now, y'all, this was not a quick and easy trip. In fact, I think we have a picture to kind of illustrate what this would have looked like. So you can kind of see, you see the elevation change there? So that first arrow towards the middle, obviously, is the temple. The other arrow on the side, that's where the pull of Siloam would have been. Y'all, that's a long way down and a long way up. And so there for seven days, up and down, up and down, lugging their water. After seven days of this, Jesus stands up and says, is anyone thirsty? Is anyone willing to admit that lugging this water up and down and up and down isn't really quenching the thirst in their hearts? He says, let them come to me and drink. This has all been pointing to me. I am God's provision for you. I am God's provision for your thirst. I'm the substance. I am the real thing. You know what the tragedy is? Oh, that very day, that very day, many people went back to carrying their own water just up and down the hill, up and down the hill. They thought they could fight that grizzly bear on their own. And they kept trying when the substance, the real thing, was right in front of them. See, the truth that we have to reckon with this morning, the truth that we have to reckon with in our hearts, that that these shadow religions, y'all, they're not neutral. They are not neutral toward our relationship with Christ. 
If you actually get in a fight with a grizzly bear, it's going to hurt. In the same way, if we give our lives to these shadow religions, it will hurt. There's an important note we have to see. So in verse 16, when he's talking about the diets and the days, he says, don't let anyone judge you because of those. Verse 18, he says, don't let anyone disqualify you because of those. So it's interesting to me that he doesn't just forbid them. He doesn't just come out and say, okay, well, it's forbidden to practice this celebration or practice this feast or to eat this food. He doesn't say that anyone who ever restricts their diet is practicing a shadow religion and they're doomed. No. He just says, you know, the danger is actually more subtle than that. He just says, listen, religious is good. Religion is good. It's just not God. And I don't know about you, but that, that line between good and God is such an easy one for us to cross, isn't it? It is. Paul is saying, don't give these things a greater authority than they actually have, whether you do them or don't do them. They may be helpful, but they can't qualify you and they can't disqualify you in the eyes of God. They have no bearing when it comes to your judgment before God, is what he's saying. So he's getting out on two problems. Here's the real problems with our performance and our shadow religion. Problem one, these shadow religions... They make you think too highly of yourself. Every shadow religion at the end of the day is rooted in pride. It is thinking too highly of yourself and seeking glory for yourself. Because I did it. Or I at least played a part in it. And these shadow religions, they appeal to our pride through false promises. So he says in verse 18, you will end up puffed up, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> puffed up without reason. He's saying, you'll be thinking you're doing a great job. And you'll be wrong. I read a great quote by a guy named Johnny Carr. He was the coach of the Chicago Bulls back in the 60s. He tells a story of a time when the team just frankly was not very good. He said, we had lost seven in a row, and I decided to give a psychological pep talk before the game with the Celtics. I told Bob Boozer to go out and pretend he was the best scorer in basketball. I told Jerry Sloan to pretend he was a, the best defensive guard. I told Guy Rogers to pretend he could run an offense better than any other guard. I told Eric Mueller to pretend he was the best rebounding, shot-blocking, scoring center in the game. We lost the game by 17. I was pacing around the locker room afterward trying to figure out what to say. When Mueller walks up, he puts his arm around me and said, Don't worry about it, coach. Just pretend we won. Shadow religions will turn you into a pretender. They will make you pretend you are winning when you are not. He warns against these special visions. This is actually kind of a uh, technical term that was very common back then that was used in these mystery religions, and it meant uh, someone being admitted to a higher grade of spirituality in these mystery religions. And so what would happen to their understanding was you would receive a special revelation and that just move you on up the ladder. So when Paul said, y'all, it went something like this. And it sounds so spiritual. It sounds so good. It sounds so promising. <clears throat> They'd say, you know, we're not good enough to go directly to God. We need to be more humble than that. But what we can do, we can start with one of the angels. 
and we, we can begin having a relationship with one of the angels. And then, you know, for uh, we doing the correct way and the correct spirit and are dedicated enough, long enough, then, then eventually we can elevate our request in the spiritual world. And we keep doing that and we keep working ourselves up the hierarchy until maybe if we do it just right, we can get to God. Now, y'all, that sounds humble. It is actually unbelief. It is unbelief in Christ. Because by definition, if you need anything special, you're saying Christ is not enough. And then you're saying, what you end up saying eventually, oh, oh those poor folks over there who, who weren't able to elevate to God the way that I was. You know, but, but through my wisdom, through my perseverance, through my spirituality, I was, I was able to elevate myself to God. Y'all, I was able to fight the grizzly bear and win. And so these Gnostics, these spiritualists, they're advertising humility when they're actually filled with conceit and filled with pride. They're puffed up, but without reason, he says. Here's the second problem. It's really just the other side of the coin of the first problem. Shadow religions make you let go of Christ. These Shadow religions, like every single idol, whatever your idol is in your life, it will demand loyalty. It will not want to share any loyalty with anyone, let alone Jesus Christ. And so it will not be neutral towards him. It will pull you away from Christ. He says in verse 19, the root problem for those following these shadow religions is they've lost connection with the head. The head being Christ. And he says, and therefore, after losing connection with the head, you lose connection with the whole body. And that's what causes you to grow. So these shadow religions, this religious practice, this super spirituality, it promises all sorts of spiritual growth, but you actually end up losing your means of growth. Like a body that's been beheaded. There's no more growth happening. The growth has ended. And you end up looking for life amongst death. And, you know, there's a reason we are all tempted towards these shadow religions because on the surface they appear helpful, right? They're full of promise. But Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, the emperor has no clothes. They have no real power to help you. It cannot help your problems. It cannot help your relationships. It cannot make you more right with God. You are going to dead things to find life, which does not work. Reminds me of the dog in the old fable who's carrying a bone, but he pauses and he sees himself, himself in his own reflection in the water. And he sees this shiny new bone in the water, and so he goes to grab this shiny new bone, but by grabbing at the new prize, he loses what he had. Grabbing at the religion of self, it may look shiny, it may look promising, it will cause you to let go of Christ. And so Paul asks a great and obvious question in verse 20. Why would you do this? Why? I love the way David Garland put it, a commentator. He said, why play in the shadow world when you've experienced the real thing? Why trust yourself when you have all of Christ? All of Christ is in you and you're in him. It sounds crazy. It sounds like fighting a grizzly bear. But if we're honest... Man, it has a strong appeal, doesn't it? Our hearts are constantly pulled in that direction, if we're honest. We all have a tendency to say, I'm going to get to God on my own terms, by my own might, 
Let me just, I want to do it right and prove that I'm a good person. Shadow religions, so they offer ways that seem pious, religious, good, moral. They seem helpful. In fact, there's only one thing shadow religions can produce. Only one. They produce sin. That's all. Because one of two things will happen. Either you will do well and you will swell up with pride. You'll start patting yourself on the back and looking down at other people and thinking you got it together. Or they will produce shame when you fail, which you inevitably will. Or you'll just, like a ping pong ball, bounce back and forth. Pride, shame, pride, shame. That cycle sound familiar to anybody in here? It does to me. Both pride and shame, they're really a repeat of the same sin, which is this, taking Christ out of the center and putting myself right back in the center. That's the core problem. That's the core issue. You know, as I read this and I have to look, I say, okay, we're not as big into some of the feasts and the diets and, and all those things as they were in the first century. But if, as I look in my heart, I find a different story. I find that these, the shadow religions of the first century are actually not all that different than the shadow religions of the 21st century, are they? The details, you know, we change the details. It can look a thousand different ways, but the human heart remains the same. We remain tempted to shadow religions that will appeal to our pride and let us earn it just a little bit. Let us advance just a little bit more. So I did some thinking, some self-examination this week. We're all kind of idols in this place. I, I don't know what yours are. A couple that I thought of. Legalism. Y'all, I think legalism is still alive and strong and there's many of you in here who came from very legalistic backgrounds or you're, you're maybe you're naturally bent towards this legalism. And you know well this game, clean and unclean, in and out, all based on external performance where we, we put all the attention on the shadow, me, instead of the substance, Christ. And we can all do that. We, we love to select just a few behaviors and we and we judge everyone by those at the same time simultaneously we ignore tons of equally sinful behaviors coveting and gossip and slandering and bitterness and and hatred we'll just ignore those and if you're naturally bent that way listen guys i'm a natural legalist i love school i got school hey here's the test get the right answers you get the good grade i can do that i get that man if that's you 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 know how hard it can be to let the law be good, but God be God, right? It's a hard thing to keep in tension. Listen to Paul's warning this morning, because when we start trusting in our performance, when we start ranking one another, when we start thinking too highly of ourselves, we're letting go of Christ. It inevitably happens. I think another shadow religion that I was raised in that I kind of grew up in is what we'd call cultural Christianity. You know, in this common phrase, you hear it a lot, probably less so, more and more. But I got to think, okay, well, use that phrase a lot, what is it? And here's the best definition I could come up with. Cultural Christianity is a life devoted to a moral code rooted in a Christian worldview, but not submitted to Christ as king. It looks the part, it knows the words, there's a high dose of the shadow but little of the substance. Because when you look underneath the actions and the morality and the performance, it has little genuine devotion and surrender to Christ. I don't know about you, but it, you know that 
this week, I try to diagnose my own heart and say, okay, is it, you know, is my faith, is it true, is it genuine, is it just cultural Christianity because it's what I was raised in, you know, am I, am I submitting to Christ or I'm following him just because that's what my culture says is good? I, I don't know about you guys, but my heart is a hodgepodge. I mean, it, it is a, a gray mess. I mean, the answer is yes, both. I find both of those in my heart. And so I came up with some questions this week to just kind of keep my heart in check and, and see where I am. Am I more devoted to self or to Christ? Is Jesus a supplement to my life or is he the center of my life? Do I follow Christ out of convenience or conviction? Do I think about more about what I can gain or what I can give up? Is my faith more about this life or eternal life? Y'all, if I'm honest, too often my answer is the former and not the latter. And I have a feeling I'm not alone in that boat. So what do we do? What do we do? All, these, all of us, are, our hearts are prone to performance and legalism and earning it and letting go of Christ. We stop fighting grizzly bears and we fall on Christ. Men and women, the answer to legalism, listen, it's never the opposite legalism. So, you know, I grew up in this legalistic background. They observed all the festivals. I'm never observing a festival again. I'm not getting within 100 foot of that festival. I'm not taking a day's off work. I'm not hanging up the Christmas lights. I'm not doing any of that. And all you people who do, y'all are a bunch of heathens. And all of a sudden, before you know it, we've gotten really legalistic about not being legalistic, haven't we? Nor is it licentiousness, you know. Hey, it's all in the cloud anyway. The law doesn't matter. I'll go to heaven when I die. So what does it really matter what I do right now? The answer to the shadow religions is the grace of Christ and that alone. The answer is to remain, to stay where it all began at the foot of the cross. Did you know this morning there is room for every legalist here at the foot of the cross? There's room for all of us. You can be wrong about a lot of things, and you will be, and that's okay. Because it doesn't depend on you getting it all right anymore. Doesn't matter. You can mess up a lot of times, <coughs> excuse me, and you will. I'm trying to make it through, guys. <coughs> and you will, and that's okay. You can cough up a lung in the middle of the sermon, and that's okay. It's going to happen. Because it doesn't depend on your performance anymore. Not at the cross. You just keep coming back to the cross again and again and again. Jesus said, whenever you're thirsty, just come to me and drink. We never move away from the cross. In fact, y'all, this is the point of all our religion, all of our practice, all of our theology, our preaching, our singing, our spiritual disciplines. The singular thing they're meant to do is not to advance us or move us anywhere, but to keep us right at the foot of the cross. And at the cross, you don't find the shadow. You find the substance. You find the real thing. You find the person of Jesus Christ in his body who wants a relationship with you, who has kept the law for you, who has paid the penalty for your sin. To put it another way, he fought the grizzly bear and he won. There's nothing more you need, so don't ever leave. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.